Grace and peace, these are yours from God our Father because of Jesus our Savior. Dear Christian friends, 20-something years ago, the classic, it's kind of washed out, classic movie Braveheart came out. And if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, you know it's all about one thing. It's all about freedom, right? It's the, the fictionalized story of William Wallace who led the, the Scots in their quest for freedom from the English crown. There's, a, of course, a, a love story built into it, which ends tragically and only fuels Wallace's desire or his anger and his drive. But really, the movie isn't about the love story. The movie is about freedom. And, and it culminates in the, the epic speech right before the, the last battle scene. They may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Right? It's a pretty epic movie if you've ever seen it. If you haven't, it's a little bloody, but I'd recommend it. But in our country, where we sit here in America today, like, man, it just kind of stirs our hearts, right? It pulls at a, some of our heartstrings, but, but I'm not sure that we really, like, get it, right? We, oh, that's a great movie, instant classic. Okay, what well, are we going to do the rest of the day? Because we assume we're free, right? I mean, our national holiday, what do we call it? Independence Day? Freedom Day, right? We have this, this list of freedoms that we celebrate, the Bill of Rights, and, and all of these things. We have the, the freedom to associate, the freedom to uh, gather for religion, the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, like all these different things that we go, thank you, this is great. We have all these different freedoms. But there's a group that's called the uh, Human Freedom Index. And they're a, like a, a nonprofit think tank, and they take data points, 79 distinct indicators, that's what they say, that, that show how much personal and economic freedom a country has. And here's their data points. This is from 2016. They have as recent as 2018. And we would think, you know, man, we've got to be like that top one up there, right? For the United States, come on. That's not us. And we think, okay, well, that's probably us right over here. Like, right, one of these couple. Nope, that's not us either. In fact, that is. United States is tied for 17th in the Human Freedom Index. And that's not bad. I mean, it's better than a whole lot of others, right? But we go, wait a minute, we're the land of the free. That doesn't seem quite right. Now, this is neither the time nor the place to discuss why that is or how to fix it. Those are, those are different discussions. Really, my point is, though, we sometimes think we are more free than we really are. And if that's true politically and economically, it's even more true spiritually. In fact, the conversation is that Jesus is about to have, we're, we're going to hear Jesus have, was with a group of people who didn't realize they weren't free. 
They, they, like us, struggled to understand how spiritually not free we really are. So let's take a listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? We shall be set free. Now, we'll pause just a moment there. Jesus was speaking to a group of people, mostly Jewish, who were struggling to understand, to grasp, who is this guy? They were trying to to get their heads around it, and they couldn't agree. They couldn't agree on who Jesus was. They had just heard him forgive the sins of someone who had been caught in sin. Like, this person had been caught in sin, they dragged them in front of Jesus and said, guess what they were doing? And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you forgive sin? Now, they had seen Jesus perform miracles. They had heard his teaching They knew who he claimed to be, but they absolutely couldn't wrap their heads around. They they simply refused to believe that he is God, that he is the promised Savior. But to those who did believe, both then and now, to those who believed in him, Jesus had an instruction and a promise. Notice what he says. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus tells all who believe in him to cling to him. To cling to him, now obviously we can't physically see Jesus. He's not like sitting next to you that you can see. So how do we cling to him? Well, you do so in his word. Hold on to me in, in my word because my word is the truth, he says. That's something that's kind of hard to do today, isn't it? In a world that rejects this objective truth idea, everything is postmodern, everything is subjective, everything is your truth, Jesus says, no, I have the truth. And ironically, most people would say, my truth is what sets me free, your truth doesn't. Jesus says his truth sets everyone free who trusts in him, who holds to his teaching, who clings to him. Now again, there were those who were listening who just really couldn't get on board with what Jesus was saying. Wait a minute. You're telling me that we're not free? How does that work? Did you notice what their hope is in? The hope for freedom, the hope for peace, security, joy. Their hope is in being Abraham's descendants, that they can trace their lineage back to Abraham. Their hope is in their heritage. They thought, well, we're people who are descended from the guy that God made a promise to, and so therefore we are We're people of God's promise. They missed the point, though, 
that Abraham was the father of believers not because of bloodlines, but because of faith, which the Bible makes clear. And so to people then who claimed, who held on to the idea of freedom based on heritage, to people today who hold on to freedom based on where we live, Jesus had some sobering news. Take a look, verse 34. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Here's the problem. We just read a few minutes ago, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You understand what that means, right? It's our first takeaway this morning. That I want to think I'm free. But sin makes me a slave. Like those from 2,000 years ago, though, we think, wait a minute. Um, we're not slaves. We got rid of slavery in our country. That was like a, a bad, a really bad time in our nation's history. But that's, that's gone. That's done away with. Jesus says, I, I, you need to understand this. You need to come to grips with the slavery, the bondage that we are held in. So let me tell you about our enemy for a moment. All right, we, we sang about our old evil foe right, in our opening song. We know who that is, right? Our, the devil. And you probably know he goes by another name, Satan. Did you know that the reason he goes by the other name, Satan, though, is because of what it means? Satan means the accuser. Because that's what he does. See, every time that, that you and I fail to live up to God's perfect standards, every time we fail to love the way that God loves us, every time we fail and we sin, whether it's like this gross and horrible thing that, that all kinds of people know about, it's this terrible failure on our part and everyone knows, or whether it's this thing that's hidden deep in our hearts and we, we think it's harmless, Who's right there? The accuser. Pointing his finger and saying, how could you? I know what you've done. And you know what you've done. And you failed. And he accuses us of our crimes against God again and again and again. And really, what's there to say? I mean, we heard in Romans 3, right, that we have no defense, so we can't say, I didn't do it. We can try the old, uh, well, God, I didn't mean to, I tried. But if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket, you know, officer, I didn't, I didn't know I was going 75. Oh, you didn't know? Oh, psh. no. Ignorance is no excuse, right? Intent doesn't factor into the law. Did you break it or not? And the sad reality is, we did, and we do. And we can try to push it off on other people. If only they hadn't, you know, it's their fault. I, ah. And God says, okay, yeah, they tempted you. Yeah, they, they led you. 
but you did it. You still went through with it. You still said that, did that, thought that. And therefore, you are guilty. And we know it, right? The devil wags his finger. He accuses, and we know. That's why we try so desperately to push it on to other people, to excuse it, to minimize it, because we know what that means. The, the weight of our guilt and our shame that's wrapped around us in these chains, that shackles us, that causes us to think that it's hopeless. You know what that sin, that guilt, that shame also makes us think? It makes us think that because, well, because we've broken God's law, you know who we dare not go before? God. You know where the last place we should go when we fail? Church, our Bible, God. Because we think we're going to be judged. Because we know that we deserve his judgment for eternity. But the reality is God wants us to hear him, right? It's another lie that the devil puts out there and that our, our sinful nature perpetuates. But the reality is this is exactly where we need to be when we've sinned, when we've fallen short. This is, this is exactly the place, the person we need to listen to. Because the truth is our second takeaway this morning. It's the only one who can free me from the, sh the chains of sin is the one who never sinned, Jesus. Now, there was a guy who lived 500 years ago who discovered that beautiful truth. His name was Martin Luther. Luther was a guy who was going to school to be a lawyer, and his dad definitely approved of that, right, because... Lawyers make good money. He would have financial security for his life, take care of his family. But that was the only kind of security that Luther would have because he was plagued by fear and guilt and shame. And he felt the, the chains of his guilt wrapped around him, dragging him down into hopelessness for eternity. And he thought that he did enough things, right? He, he did everything he could, all, all that the world told him. These are good things. Do this and do this. This is, this is a good work, and he tried it. He even quit school to be a, being a lawyer to go and, and live in a monastery and become a monk and take the vows of poverty and, and chastity and all the rest to devote his life to not having the, the pleasures of this world, but to but to service to God. And he thought, surely this will appease God. This will, this will help free me from some of my guilt. But it didn't. And no matter how hard he tried, no matter how devoted he was, no matter how desperately and, and he prayed, none of it helped. He couldn't find any relief, any freedom from his guilt. Have you been there? Are you there right now? Where the, the guilt is just, just weighing on your heart and your soul 
where, where shame has you shackled and just locked up and, and fearful, where, where you, grief, it, there's no relief from it. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how many good things you do, how much you work at trying to, to appease God, to try to balance some kind of scale, to find some kind of karmic balance in life, it doesn't work, does it? No matter how much you try to make up for the things you've done, it doesn't take it away. No matter how deep you stuff it, it's not gone. And no matter what you try to just, like the, the thing that my brain says, okay, that will help just make me feel good for seconds, minutes. And so you, you, you go there, you indulge. Alcohol, drugs, spending, sex, whatever it might be, it doesn't actually help. It doesn't actually last. And in fact, it, it just piles on more guilt, more shame, more regret. It's a terrible realization, isn't it, to understand just how enslaved to sin we really are. And it will wrap us up and drag us down into the grave and worse, hell. Don't you wish you could be free? Don't you wish that, that that guilt could just be washed away and the shackles of shame taken off? That you could be free just for longer than those few fleeting seconds that our efforts try to provide, but, but for life, even better, for eternity? Well, that's what Martin Luther discovered. And he discovered it in the Bible. He discovered this beautiful truth that, that sounds so simple to us, but, but understand the teaching of the day was that you had to work at your own freedom. You had to do things to buy your way out, to pay for what you've done. And he knew that he never could. And then he read the Bible, and he found the beautiful truth, the truth that gives freedom. It's the words that Jesus speaks in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, so many people in Jesus' day struggled to understand him because they thought that he had come to free them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. So many people today struggle to understand Jesus because they think Jesus has come to free them from, from the problems of the moment and the difficulties of life. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to free us from something far bigger with far greater consequences. It's our third takeaway this morning. Jesus came to free me from sin and all that entangles me. He lived a life of perfect obedience, of perfect love, of, of perfection in every way. He was free from sin. And yet he willingly went to the cross so that there our Heavenly Father could take the shackles of shame and guilt and unwrap the chains from around us and place them on him. 
On the cross, Jesus was thrown into the dungeon of hell to suffer the wrath of God for our sin. But those chains couldn't hold him. The prison could not contain him. And he proved that he had broken them, that he had conquered them, that he was free when he rose from the dead. He proved that death couldn't hold him, that that the wages of sin is death, that that had no power over him, that he had conquered sin and the devil and hell itself for you, for me, so that we might be free. So it's really simple. If you're struggling with guilt and you want to be free from it, take your sin to Jesus. If you're shackled with shame, if you're weighed down with grief, if you're struggling with worry, take your fears, take it all to Jesus. When you feel that burden, when that that guilt, the grief, the shame, when it hits for all of the the misplaced trust and the selfishness and the the poor priorities and, and the greed and the anger and all of the other things that we do, when that hits, when that settles in, when you come to that realization, when you understand, I am I'm a slave right now. I have no freedom. Well, your freedom is waiting. Your freedom has been won because Jesus won it for you. Go to him. Go to the cross because when you say, Lord, help, Lord, forgive, you know what he does? He takes those chains and he takes you back to the cross and he's not just waiting for you to do it again and, oh, here it comes. Now you're getting double. No, he takes those chains on himself on the cross and he didn't just take them on himself, he broke them. He destroyed them so that you might be free because God, the Son, has set you free. When Martin Luther discovered that freedom, he realized just how desperately he needed it. But he realized he wasn't the only one who needed it. His family, his friends, his co-workers, his neighbors, his entire community, really the entire world. And that's why no matter who told him, stop, stop talking about this, stop teaching about this, stop going against the authority of the day, when his life was threatened, when his livelihood was threatened, he simply wouldn't. He was bold to keep teaching and pointing people again and again and again to Jesus. Because he knew that for himself and he knew that for them, the simple truth is that Jesus came to set us free. We live in a world that is even more enslaved or just as enslaved, more people. And there are people that you know, that you associate with, that you run into, people who you work with, people who you live with, that are just tangled, strangled by their sin and the feeling of hopelessness that's just dragging them down. 
and it can be scary. You might think that they probably don't want to hear this from me, but I'll tell you what, they, they desperately need to. Because the only way to be free is in Jesus, who took all of that guilt and all of that shame and all of the, the results of sin, and he took them all on himself, and he, he wiped them away. He broke them to free you from them. See, that's what it means to be Lutheran, to be Luther-ish, right? That we are bold in pointing people to Jesus. That we are, are confident in our salvation, not because of what we did, but because of Jesus who broke the chains of sin, who destroyed guilt and fear and shame. We get to, we get to be certain and in that freedom, the, the certainty we have in freedom, we get to share it with people who so desperately need it. At the end of the movie Braveheart, William Wallace has been captured and he's being brutally, horrifically tortured. And they tell him all he has to do is ask for mercy. And if you've seen the movie, you can probably hear the epic cry with his last vestige of strength, freedom! When the devil attacks and Satan accuses and your conscience is eating at you and guilt is weighing on you, there's nothing you can yell that will free you. But there is a statement that's been made that frees you. And so I want you to go back to the cross. Because the, there Jesus made a triumphant proclamation. It is finished. The payment for all of your sin, done. Your freedom, won. Your salvation, certain. Because Jesus has set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen.